and we're back. We are back. How are you, Angie? Oh, it's been good. I think I've I've had a little bit of just little changes at my home. And so it's felt a little chaotic, but overall, everything is great. How about you? I'm good. I'm enjoying the last week of um, sort of free time before I start a new job. So, you know, that's always a little bit full of anxiety, but also excitement. Um, And I was saying before we started recording, I wish I had been, you know, just so all the listeners know, I'm now recording in my closet. Um, which I should have been doing the whole time. I hope that you've noticed a difference in the sound quality starting last episode with the Rider-Waite-Smith episode. Um, I definitely hear a difference when I listen. And I just wish I'd been in here the whole time. I have this bizarrely large closet that's like perfect for a recording studio. So (laughs) yeah. Uh, Yeah. So what are we talking about today, Nick? All right, so today we're going to dive into the life and work of one of the most infamous and controversial figures in Western occultism, Aleister Crowley, and the creation of his Thoth tarot deck. So if you are new to this series, welcome. We encourage you to go back and start at the beginning with chapter one and work your way through sequentially. This series is a primer on tarot history and a resource for anyone who is new to the tarot or wants to expand their knowledge of the history and the lineage of the cards. Each episode builds on the previous one, so it really does pay to go back and start at the beginning. And we want to say thank you to all of you who have written in, sharing your thoughts with us, and those of you who have left ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It means so much to us. We love reading those. We love seeing those reviews. Um, and it helps more people discover the series, which we want because it's been a lot of work um, putting this together. It's been a lot of fun, but a lot of work. And we want people to know about it. That's right. And if you want to support this work and interact with us a little bit more in real life, we hope you'll join us over on Patreon, where you can enjoy weekly long-form essays, discounts on workshops, and invitations to attend our monthly tarot hangs, all for as little as $2 a month. All right. I think that's all of our PSAs out of the way. So shall we dive into today's chapter of tarot history? Yes, please. Dubbed the wickedest man in the world and the great beast 666, Cambridge-educated occultist and inventor of the religion of Thelema, Aleister Crowley was born in 1875 to wealthy British Plymouth Brethren Brewers. Say that five times fast. (laughs) Wealthy British Plymouth Brethren Brewers. Some biographers allege that he was recruited by the British intelligence agency while at university and that he remained a spy the rest of his life. Whether or not there's any truth to the tale of espionage, we know that he joined the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn in 1898, where he was trained in magic by Samuel Lydell McGregor Mathers, say that five times fast, (laughs) and Alan Bennett. If you listen to our previous episode on the history of the Golden Dawn, these names will sound familiar. According to Neville Dawn's book, Stealing Fire from Heaven, Aleister Crowley rose quickly through the grades of the Golden Dawn and, following his initiation in France in 1900, returned to England, where he unsuccessfully challenged the authority of William Butler Yeats, hoping to displace him as head of the Golden Dawn. In 1904, Crowley and his wife, Rose Edith Kelly, traveled to Cairo, where they rented an apartment for the purpose of invoking ancient Egyptian deities. 
Crowley later claimed that on April 8th, he heard the disembodied voice of Iwas, the messenger of the Egyptian god Horus. Crowley later transcribed what he heard to create his book, The Book of Law, which proclaimed that humanity was entering a new aeon, the chief law of which would be, quote, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, end quote. According to Wikipedia, in 1907, Crowley founded the AA, a magical organization which was said to be dedicated to advancing humanity by perfecting the individual on every plane via a graded system of universal initiations. Its practices and teachings, which Crowley named Thelema, included a hodgepodge of Buddhism, yoga, ceremonial magic, and the Kabbalistic Tree of Life. In 1912, Theodore Roos made Crowley the head of the Ordo Templi Orientis in Britain. The OTO is an initiatory fraternity which claimed that sexual magic was the missing link which could connect the teachings of all the Masonic and Hermetic teachings. (laughs) How convenient. Crowley would go on to reshape OTO's degree structure and rituals in accordance with Thelema, assuming international headship of the order after Roos's death. Crowley became interested in creating a tarot deck in 1937 and was introduced to Lady Frida Harris by playwright and author Clifford Bax. Harris was born into a wealthy middle-class family, the second of three children, and a daughter of a no-nonsense military surgeon. As was standard for the time, Harris was educated with the goal of marriage, not vocation, in mind, and she was sent to a small private establishment in Broadstairs, Kent, to study music, painting, dancing, and conversational French. In April 1901, she married Percy Harris, who would go on to pursue a career in progressive politics. The couple had two sons and cultivated a broad, vibrant social circle. Harris was introduced to Buddhism by her mother and was acquainted with several esotericists before meeting Crowley. In an article titled, Mercury is in a very ape-like mood, Deja Whitehouse writes that, quote, In 1926, Harris published her illustrated book, Winchelsea, which, as historian Ronald Hutton observes, combines classical mythology with a type of nature mysticism popular amongst British middle and upper classes during the 19th and early 20th century. Winchelsea describes the arrival of the god Dionysus on the East Sussex shore, where he transforms a local shepherdess into the town of Winchelsea when she fails to return his affections. We can also discern that Harris was familiar with the work of Madame Blavatsky, who you may remember from our last episode. So it's safe to say that she had a strong interest in mythology and the occult before meeting Crowley. I really want to read Winchelsea now. I'm very curious about that because I love Dionysus. I mean, what a way to like get back at someone for not returning your affections. Yeah, turn them into a town. The Thoth deck ultimately took five years to create, from 1938 to 1943, and both artists died before its publication in 1969. Harris embarked on an intensive course of magical training in parallel with her work on the tarot paintings, including personal study of the Greek and Hebrew alphabet, the Kabbalah, and the Chinese I Ching, or the Y King, as Crowley referred to it. Just like the teachings of his AA, the symbolism in the Thoth deck incorporates images from disparate disciplines, including science and philosophy, and various religious and occult systems, as described in detail in his book, The Book of Thoth. The deck differs from the Smithwaite in ways that are both simple and mind-boggling. 
For starters, Crowley renamed several cards in the deck. The Magician became the Magus, the High Priestess became simply the Priestess, Strength became Lust, Wheel of Fortune became simply Fortune, Justice became Adjustment, Temperance became Art, Judgment became the Aeon, the World became the Universe. In the court cards, King became Knight, Knight became Prince, and Page became Princess. Crowley also created keyword titles and attributions for each of the minors, one through 10, and rearranged the numerical, astrological, and Hebrew alphabet correspondences that had come to be associated with the cards via the claims of various esoteric orders, such as the Golden Dawn. In the Book of Thoth, Crowley writes that his arrangement of the trumps creates a, quote, double loop, end quote, in the zodiac number and letter number correspondences. To be honest, I have looked at multiple diagrams of this double loop, and I cannot make any sense of it. Maybe that's due to my own lack of knowledge when it comes to astrology and teachings on the tree of life, but most of the sources that I came across in my research seemed just as confused as I am. We'll link to an image in the show notes. Let us know if you're able to decipher any better than we were. The source to the image we'll link to is the website cornelius93.com, which states, quote, to confuse matters, where Leo is originally listed as the eighth Thoth card, Crowley makes it the 11th. Where Libra was once the 11th Thoth card, Crowley makes it the eighth. The switching of these numbers has been the bane of researchers for years, simply because it totally throws off the natural flow. And to further complicate matters, although Crowley leaves Aries as the fourth path and Aquarius as the 17th in his zodiac belt in order to keep the natural flow, he switches their location and attributes on the tree of life. The nonsensical nature of this quote is the reason we're mentioning it today. Whatever his reasons, and obviously he had them, Crowley chose to assign meaning wherever and however he liked. Furthermore, his toying of the tree of life is further complicated by his widely documented anti-Semitism. As we discussed in the last episode, the publication of Crowley's Thoth deck came towards the end of a long period of esoteric fervor, which began in the 18th century with the first writers to publicly espouse an occult theory of tarot, namely Cor de Jebelin and Etela, and continued through the Golden Dawn and Crowley's own AA. One thing that all of these occult thinkers agreed on was the historical influence of Christianity on tarot imagery and symbolism. Matthew Fletcher of the University of Bristol points out that Crowley was correct in stating that previous decks were created within the socio-cultural framework of the Renaissance, a period during which the Catholic Church was arguably at its zenith. As we discussed in the first episode of this series, evidence of the Christian Church's influence is nowhere more apparent than in the depictions of the cardinal virtues on Trump's 8, Fortitude, 11, Justice, 14, Temperance, and 20, Judgment in the Renaissance decks. Crowley viewed such depictions as a corruption or distraction from the true ancient wisdom that occultists believe the tarot was meant to carry forward. For him, the story of the tarot's development was one of Christianity overtaking paganism. As he stated in the Book of Thoth, quote, the medieval pacts are hopelessly corrupt, compiled by partisans of existing political systems, end quote. But all occult efforts to root out the Christianization of the tarot were not necessarily driven by an anti-Christian agenda. Rather, the goal for many would have been to clear the cards of imagery that placed them within a particular time period, thereby throwing their ability to carry ancient wisdom into question. 
Crowley emphasized the originality of his work on the tarot in the Book of Thoth, stating, quote, more valuable still is the completely fresh approach to the whole subject which permeates the book. There is no rehash of what has been said before on the subject. It is a brilliant reevaluation of the entire field of occult and mystical activity in the light of the most recent advances in science, philosophy, psychoanalysis, and comparative religion, end quote. Wow. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that you carried the tone brilliantly on that, Nick. <laughs> I mean... Just, wow, just really giving himself the best review possible. Patting himself on the back as he said that, yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, in the Book of Law, Crowley repeatedly stresses that the magical philosophy underlying Thelema is in accordance with scientific viewpoints of the time. If we take this at face value, given the time period during which Crowley lived, we can include the, quote, scientific eugenics movement as being one of his influences. Examples of Crowley's racist, anti-Semitic ideas abound in his The Confessions of Aleister Crowley. One such example appears in a section in which he is teaching a student of magic, which he spelled with a K, how to use a horoscope to judge a person's character. Quote, one must further remark that each sign governs two main types, the active and the passive. Thus, Aries, the high brows, long face, aquiline nose, tall, thin, muscular figure, shows the fiery and martial qualities of the sign. But there is an evil and averse counterpart corresponding to the ovine nature. We have the gross, hooked, pendulous, probosis, the thick, flabby, moist lips, the patient, stupid eyes, and timid, hunted gait of the bad type of Jew, end quote. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Incidentally, Crowley had several interesting explanations for why he chose the spelling of magic with a K. According to LearnReligions.com, quote, the most often mentioned reason is to differentiate what he was doing from stage magic, end quote. Crowley also considered magic to be anything that moves a person closer to fulfilling their destiny, or what he called one's, quote, true will. The work of previous occultists to restyle the tarot was driven by a desire to firmly establish it as a repository for wisdom and a tool for divination. Crowley's agenda was more ambitious, to excise Christian values and encode the key of tenets of Thelema into the cards. However, by the time that Crowley came to write his work on the cardinal virtues of fortitude, temperance, and justice, they were not only firmly planted in the heart of Christianity, but also within the ideology that had come to underpin 20th century Western democracy. Judgment, too, with its themes of sin and punishment and reward after death, was similarly entrenched in the psyche of modern society, even as that society continued to become more secular. In her book, Rethinking Aleister Crowley and Thelema, senior lecturer in religious studies at Karlstad University, Manon Hedenberg-White shares that Aleister Crowley was openly bisexual, stating, quote, Crowley can be situated among sexual visionaries, such as Edward Carpenter, Havelock Ellis, and D.H. Lawrence, who viewed erotic liberation as key to social transformation, end quote. A 2014 article from The Guardian details the discovery of a notebook of poetry by Crowley dating back to 1898, which includes poems written in tribute to his failed love affair with fellow Cambridge undergraduate Herbert Jerome Pollitt. Quote, when my sick body in his love lies drowned and he lies corpsewise on me, nor will rise, though my breath shudders and my soul be dead, end quote. 
In another passage, he writes, quote, a sailor's kiss is branded on my throat where his teeth infamous bit hard the skin, end quote. Additional poems are titled, quote, he who seduced me first, end quote, and quote, I who am dying for thy kiss, end quote. And I had, I had not heard any of this before, and I, I will link to this article in the show notes. I really recommend everyone go look at it. Um, but this was, you know, queer me. I was super fascinated by this. Yeah, insert rainbow emojis here. Yeah. Prior to the creation of the Thoth deck, Crowley had lived in the United States during World War I, before relocating to the Italian island of Sicily where he converted a sanctuary into the Abbey of Thelema. In 1923, he was expelled by the Italian government following the mysterious death of a young follower, allegedly following his participation in one of Crowley's rituals. Crowley moved back to England where he would meet Lady Frida Harris, create the Thoth deck, and write his final notable work, The Book of Thoth. According to Britannica.com, Crowley died in poverty and obscurity in an English rooming house in 1947, but he would go on to become a figure of cultural fascination, even appearing on the cover of the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album cover. Led Zeppelin guitarist Jimmy Page also purchased a home previously owned by Crowley near Loch Ness in Scotland. As we mentioned in the last chapter, the 1960s and 70s were a time of revitalized interest in tarot, esotericism, and world religions in America. According again to Maynard Hedenberg-White, quote, an accurate measure of Crowley's impact on the landscape of late modern esotericism will not only account for the number of self-identified Thelemites, but also for Crowley's formative influence on late modern sexual magic, Wicca, Satanism, and chaos magic, as previous research has demonstrated, end quote. So there you have it, my friends, the dark and strange life of one Alistair Crowley. We want to reemphasize the incredibly problematic legacy of this man, including his anti-Semitism. These are all important things to consider when deciding whether or not you want to work with his Thoth deck. That's right. Thank you, Angie. And next week, we will be concluding this shuffling through history series. I can't believe we're already at the finish line um, with an exploration of Lenormand and Oracle, a discussion of some of the psychological and therapeutic approaches that began to influence the way readers worked with the cards in the 20th and 21st centuries, and a little imagining of where tarot might be headed in the future. So we hope you'll join us again for that final episode. We'll see you then. Bye, everybody.